can invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah. We're going through um, Nehemiah uh, on Sunday evenings, and if you're using a church Bible, it's at page 489, Nehemiah chapter 6. So chapter 4, 5, and 6, you could say just opposition would be a title over, the, over these three chapters. Um, chapter 4, opposition to the work from outside. Um, chapter 5, opposition to the work from the inside. And now chapter 6, opposition to the work through the leader. Um, it's, the theme tonight is temptation. Um, but we'll just read the passage from verses 1 to 14 together. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal. <laughs> get my teeth in right, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadia and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. This is the word of the Lord. So, temptation is like a knife. 
It may either cut the meat or the throat of a man. It may be his food or his poison, his exercise or his destruction. So wrote the great Dr. John Owen. Temptation. In chapter 6, we see the knife of temptation against the throat of Nehemiah. But by God's grace in this passage, Nehemiah's faith, though was tested, prevailed. And the temptation led not to his poison, but to his food, and not to his destruction, but to the exercise of his faith when he overcame his temptation. And so in this chapter, we're seeing temptation and evil being unmasked. Now, just as Jesus teaches us to pray each day that the Father may not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, So in this chapter, we are seeing Nehemiah being led out of the snares of temptation into deliverance from evil. Tonight is going to be more um, of application of the uh, of about temptation rather than the wonderful theology and gospel that we heard this morning on Jesus' temptation. But bearing all that in mind, that he is the king of our salvation, he went into the wilderness and was tempted on our behalf and succeeded where. Adam had failed and where we fail and now is, now is the great captain of salvation for us. Bear that great truth in mind and then see what practical lessons we can learn from this passage about temptation and how to overcome. Okay, verses 1 to 4. There, there are two lots of temptations in here. Um, temptation by distraction, verses 1 to 4, and then temptation by deceit, um, Verses 5 to 14. Temptation by distraction. The work is nearly completed, but there is still a chance to destroy the work. As we read, the walls are rebuilt without a gap, but the doors are not yet set in the gates. It almost looks like things are finished, but it's often at this point that temptations come. We are never finished from the danger of temptation until the Father's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. That's one of the things it's teaching us tonight. Yesterday's victory will help us with today's trial, but until our work is done, we need to watch and pray that we will not fall into temptation. And all the more so when we see the work is nearly done. Yet we can see the completion. We've just got the end in sight That's when the temptation comes. Relax your vigilance. You can let yourself go loose. You can say, we're nearly there. I can take my feet off the pedals and coast in the last little bit. The main work is done. The rest will be a doddle. I don't know if other preachers uh, have ever had that temptation. I've sometimes had that preparing for a sermon, thinking, that's it, and then found that the last bit was absolute murder. Um, And I don't know what the congregation felt afterwards, but... uh, Not this sermon, thankfully. Anyway, okay. Think about this. The last moments, the end of the work, um, the end of our life, that, that can be the time when temptation catches us off guard. This story is throughout the Bible. We see it happening in the life of Isaac, the great patriarch. We see it happening in the life of the great king, King David. We can read about it in biographies of God's people, Hard temptations come towards the end of earthly life as well as toward the end of work. You see, the enemy of our soul will not give you a pass just because you've got a bus pass. 
You can't wave your B&Q discount card and say, don't tempt me, I'm retired. And here's a really big lie that the church needs to face up to. Retirement will mean less temptation. In my experience, not that I'm retired, but watching, retirement can be a time of great temptation. And they often, that time often comes along, temptation along with it comes with extra mental and physical weaknesses within the temptations, as it were. The Apostle John writes to the young men because they are strong and the word of God lives in them and they've overcome the evil one. Strength accompanies the young, according to John. Weakness accompanies the old. And so then, here's my exhortation. Let's pray for the elderly saints that they may be rich in prayer, preserving and deepening their knowledge of the one who is from the beginning, For you see, love for the world is a temptation for the young and the old. The elderly also need to keep their love for the Father until the end and not get distracted just at the last minute. Well, let's get back to Sambalat and Geshem. They invite Nehemiah four times to a meeting on the plain of Ono. Now, the, the if you were English, it, the, the clue would be in that word, oh no, uh, I'm not going to go, never mind, it's a bad pun, sorry. Oh no, this is some distance from Jerusalem. It would take him time to get there, going down, uh, you know, because Jerusalem's on the heights. Um, and it's a place of danger because this is right in the middle of their territory. Their paid men, their uh, communities, their, their armed men, they're all there. And so if he was to go on a visit, he's in danger. So the danger would take him away from his work and take him away from his place of safety. Even though the walls are up and the gates are not finished, it's still a dangerous place in Jerusalem, but it's not comparable to the danger that would face him if he was going down to the plains of Ono. Now, we would think, I thought, well, as I read that, how is this a temptation to Nehemiah? Is it, you know, it's a distraction, but is there anything in this temptation that might, you know, might, might sort of allure him, as it were? Um, temptation has a hook, but on the hook is usually a bait that is attractive. Where's, what's the attraction in this invitation? Okay, it looks like he's dismissed it straight away, but there are attractions in this. These are powerful power brokers in the area. They've got contacts. Um, If they were on his side, the work could go better and the lives of the people of God would go better. So I wonder if he thought, should I go and see them? They've been a pest and a pain in the neck before, but should I go and see them? Um, Or perhaps in... In another sense, maybe the allure, well, not for him, but for others like, maybe for myself or other people, the allure of, you know, hobnobbing it with the rich and powerful, the great and the good. I think Nehemiah would be immune to that, being the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, but there is a lot of that um, that tempts us and distracts us in the normal way of things in life. You know, maybe they were saying, let's have a conference, uh, Nehemiah, come down to Ono. Um, we could host a seminar on wall building. We could publish your book. Um, we could start wall building ministries coming to a town near you. 
You could franchise this successful ministry. Other churches would come and share your success. Come down to our conference as a guest speaker. We'll pick you up um, from the end of the end of the road in our uh, Range Rover Evoke chariot um, and uh, put you up at the the best High Hilton hotel we've got, etc. Not to Nehemiah, but to some other people. When the powerful and the influential call, offering friendship and support, it can be a very tempting thing. And it can be very hard to discern, is this really a temptation or an opportunity from God? How do you get that discernment? The first appearance of evil, which this is, the first appearance of evil in temptation is never, never appears as evil. It's always subtle. In Genesis 3, the serpent is a subtle beast, says the AV, or more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He came pretending to be Eve's friend and benefactor. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He approached Jesus with solutions, as we were learning this morning. You don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to gain the nations by dying for them. Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you them. They're mine anyway. You see, a fish will not bite if the hook is baited with something foul. Birds won't enter into a trap if there's no food underneath the net. And the mouse will avoid the trap if there isn't that delicious smell and taste of peanut butter before it breaks its back. It always looks good and smells good. But how can we discern that is evil when it comes disguised to us as something good. And how did he discern? Be alert, says Peter. Watch out, says Peter. Watch and pray, says Jesus. That really, these commands in the gospel and uh, in, in the New Testament, these are, these are important commands. Watch and pray. Be alert. Your enemy prowls around, says Peter. So how did he... Um, how did he discern the coming of evil? Well, look at verse 3, what he says. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? When distractions come, he remembered the work that he'd been given. Why should the work stop? Anything distracts me from the work is a temptation. When your distractions come, remember the work the Father has given you to do. Our Heavenly Father knows our capacity. He knows what we can manage in any given week or day or month. And he has ordained in advance for us to walk in these good works. Ask him and he will make his goodwill clear. And that works, as I said, both on a long-term basis, weekly, even daily. Father, every day we're to pray, may your will be done on earth by me as it is done in heaven. And he'll guide us as to what the main work of that day is. And we'll be able to recognize then what the distractions are. So how is his will done in heaven well, may I, Father, be like the angels, do your will without grumbling. 
um, with no delay and leaving nothing undone at the end of the day. Father, may I do your will today with joy, promptly and completely. If I've got that clear in my mind, then I can obviously see where the distractions are. So here's the question. Do you know the work the Father has given you to do? If you don't know it, then ask and find out quickly. Because if you don't know, you will have no defense against the first approach of destruction, temptation to distract you. Temptation can come offering what looks to be a good thing, but it could be a distracting thing. And we need to know the difference. And the key is knowing what you're called to do. So let's try and apply that. Um, we thought about the elderly. What about the young people? Um, we should pray for our young folks these days concerning distraction. Um, in the good old days, uh, the oldie days, the opportunities for distraction weren't as many as they are today. What did we have? We, we, we had the cinema, we had TV, if you were wealthy, VHS recorders, you know what those are, um, books. Um, space invaders on this huge arcade in, in, in the Union and 50p a goal for about f- four minutes worth of games or something, etc., um, etc. Et now, what do young people have today to distract? Well, the big thing is the smartphone. But along with that, the internet, shopping online, reading good stuff, watching bad stuff, playing all sorts of compelling and addictive games, Netflix, Amazon Prime, multiple TV channels, box set binging, coffee shop trailing. When we were in Dundee 33 years ago, I don't recall that there was a single coffee shop in Dundee apart from Debenhams. not that amazing? We didn't have a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of temptation in, the, in those days. Maybe some of you can remember somewhere else. Social media exhaustion, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I've got WhatsApp, oh, the whole lot, right, okay. Now, some of the things that distract are obviously evil, we should say no to them. Pornography, being a shopaholic, online gambling, being an, a troll uh, on a, you know, social warrior, as it were. That's rubbish, don't do that. Um, the good things, though, they're the ones that can distract as well. I'll just read another blog entry from the wee flea. Oh, look, there's a new podcast from my favorite preacher. Oh, here's a new article in my email from Crossway, UCGF, Gospel Coalition, Ligonier Ministries, CAP, Tear Fund, Banner of Truth, MAF. Uh, have I got um, Barnabas Trust? No, I've got all of those. If it's not the distraction of technology which is obvious, then it's the distraction of other good works. I'll not write my essay tonight, even though it's due in two days and I'm well behind. I'll take a non-Christian friend for coffee and do some friendship pre-evangelism. That's a good thing to do. Of course, can't write my, can't write my essay tomorrow night because it's the CU prayer meeting first and then afterwards I'll, I'll come in late to the OMF prayer meeting. Etc., etc. We can all find excuses, and it's harder when there's good things. Now, obviously, none of those things are evil. They are good things to do, and the Father may be calling the student to do them. But the first call, if I can take this as an example for students, the work that's being given them to do is to study. I know it sounds hard, you know, 
Study gets in the way of a lot of entertainment, but that's the calling of a student. And I know also that as you get older, life gets a lot more complicated because you've got multiple responsibilities, not just one or two, spouse, family, church, leadership, etc. All good things that are competing for our limited time and our limited attention. There are so many good things we could be doing, but there can only be one best thing. Now, I know there can be more than one better thing, Maybe you have one best thing and maybe four or five better things. Paul prays to the Philippians that they may be able to discern what is best. Out of all the many possibilities for good works, there's only one task that may be called the best. Father, may your will be done today by me on earth as it is in heaven. And may you help me to discern so that I'm listening to your voice and not distracted by the tempter. Well, let's look at the second part of this, uh, verse 5 to 14. Tempted by deceit. Now, temptation is a kind of deceit. Um, but there's two lots here, two kinds of deceit, both aimed at causing fear and intimidation and stalling the work. Too frightened to do what they're called to do. And the first attack comes from the secular front, but the second attack comes from the religious front. So you've got the world trying to deceive you, And then the church trying to deceive him. Verse 5. The fifth time Sanballat sent his assistant to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. Okay. The time for pretend friendship is past. The mask is off now. We can see evil a lot more clearly. This is a deceit and is backed with an open threat. You are planning to revolt. You are planning to become king. You have appointed prophets to announce your bid for the throne. Come and meet with us on the plains of Ono for the fifth time, or this message will get back to the king, Artaxerxes. Can you feel... The fear of that. Maybe you can't because you're not Nehemiah and you're not there in those days. But um, this was the taunt that was there when he first came in chapter 2. What is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? But back in Ezra 4, there was a similar strategy went on there. A similar rumor went round, got back to the king Xerxes in that day and stopped the work of restoration. Now, in addition to this, some commentators have suggested that Nehemiah may actually be from the royal line of David, albeit distantly. So there's another bite there, isn't there? You can, you can see how this would have got to him. You are just trying to frighten us because he was feeling fear. The threat level has moved from yellow to red. But look how he responds to this temptation. There are two ways. He responds to the lies and the deceit with truth and with prayer. Let's look at the truth. Verse 8, he just simply declares the truth. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Here's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. I'm not going to enter into debate about this. Here is the truth. End of arguments. 
I have got no more time to deal with your lies. I'm past talking to you about this. Even to enter into a dialogue with him about this is to lose the temptation. Nehemiah can't argue and build the wall at the same time. So he keeps the main thing the main thing. He knows what he's been given to do, build the wall. It's not to convert Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. It's not to enter into a dialogue and see if they can bring him along to his way of thinking. His main thing was finish the wall. Here's the truth of the matter. Out of my way, I've got a wall to finish. Now, does that in our culture sound kind of harsh? You know, somebody comes with you and says, you know, meet up. Why don't you meet up? I'll make it hard for you if you don't meet up. And, and just, just shut him up and put him away. Sometimes we do need to deal with people like this. A psychiatrist, Scott Peck, has written a very illuminating book called Children of the Lie. In it, he writes about his experiences of ineffectually trying to help people who have wasted his clinical time by constantly evading his attempts to help. He, they would bring up a topic, he would discuss it, they would move on to another one. It was never, he was shifting all the time. He said, I never really knew quite what was happening here. The story kept changing. The needs seemed to grow and change like unrelated tumors in a body. He was at a loss to see what was happening until he realized they were lying. They were lying. It was lies. Until they told the truth, until they wanted to be helped, he couldn't help them. Some people are like that. Until you tell the truth, or at least until you stop lying to me, I can't help you. You're just wasting my time. I've got other things to do. Now, caution. Don't just start saying this to anybody that comes up asking for things from you um, or who resists your help uh, or disagrees with what you're doing. Speak to the hand, I'm not listening, I've got a wall to build. Don't use that as an excuse for being a jerk, okay? But just please note, Nehemiah knew what to say and do at that point through his wisdom. You will know if you become wise when you have to follow his example. Nehemiah followed the clues, earlier taunts, pretend friendship, open lies in the open letter. That told him a story that informed his harshness, as it were, in his response. He was wise. He discerned the truth of what was going on. This was deceit, and he wasn't going to have anything more to do with it. Discern. Ask the Father in heaven for wisdom. Seek the counsel of friends, discern the truth, and expose the lies like Nehemiah did. So temptation will come and try and frighten you through deceit. Expose the darkness of deceit with the light of truth and resist, says Nehemiah. I remember hearing of a young minister in the West Coast who, in his charge, first charge in the Church of Scotland, and in this church, it was the custom of the local Masonic Lodge to come and have a service every year there in the church. He didn't want that to happen. and refused to let them in. They were nice when they came. Oh, we're going to have a service. We always have a service. It's always a great offering that day. Um, you know, we're looking forward. What date can I put in the diary? I'm sorry. I, 
we're not having a service anymore uh, for the Masons. Big shock. We've been members of this church for years. Um, in fact, there's a foundation stone put down by the Masons. How dare you say we can't have a service? We're not going to have a service. You do know that we could make it very difficult for you if you don't let us have a service. No, that's true. There's a fear in that, isn't there? Sometimes that comes. Expose the temptation, the deceit, and resist. Now, I'm going to look at prayer um, at the end after I look at the next uh, deceit, which is in 10 to 14. The temptation of deceit that comes through the church. So here we have the prophet Shemaiah shut up in his home. Now, the assumption is that this is a religious vow. He can't leave the home. But he's trying to deceive Nehemiah with a religious argument, with a spiritual argument. Let us meet in the house of God. Who could be against prayer? Let's go inside the temple. (laughs) Wait a minute, Shemaiah. I thought you were shut up at home because of a religious vow. And now, suddenly, you can meet in the temple? If uh, he knew Shakespeare, Nehemiah would be saying, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark here. This prophet is a deceiver. He is not only a deceiver, he's not the only deceiver, as it were, among God's people, because in his prayer he says, remember the prophetess Noadia and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. An assassination attempt is coming. Go into the temple. I can't go into the temple. I'm not a priest, says Nehemiah. Um, Stop the work. Save yourself. Now, I don't know if you know about this. It may come as a surprise to many of you that temptations and deceit can actually come from within the church, not just from without. But if you've spent any time in leadership, if you've read any church history, if you've read the New Testament, you will know that there is much more devastation done to God's people from within the the bounds of the church than from without. The father of lies masks his deceit with Bible verses. We saw that this morning with Jesus. He has fine-sounding theology. Why should we be surprised then when he's in pulpits or wearing a PhD hood. Jesus tells us to watch and pray. Watch carefully. Does this teaching contradict the clear teaching of the Bible? Nehemiah could have asked that question. Yes, I'm not a priest. It's deceit. Preachers and teachers need to tell the truth. Okay, does this teaching tell partial Bible truth and ignore other important Bible truths? Yeah, here. It's deceit. Preachers and teachers need to tell the whole truth. Or does the teaching tell Bible truth and put alongside it other truths from um, almost at the same authority? As somebody famously said in the Church of Scotland General Assembly, we know the Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman, but we know better than the Bible these days. That's deceit. Preachers need to tell nothing but the truth. 
We have Sanbalat's descendants very much active and alive in our day and time. We need to watch and pray. They still hire people to destroy the church. Only, as you might have expected, it's a lot more complicated than just backhanders or direct bribery. Um, They pay for the introduction of what Peter calls in his second letter, destructive heresies. These get paid for with academic success, with ecclesiastical promotion of being allowed to sit in the places of influence. I don't know if you know C.S. Lewis's famous essay on the inner ring. If you haven't read it, I'd recommend you find it. He says that this is one temptation that will face many people in our, in our current day. And of course, he was talking about the 50s when he was writing this. Um, and he dramatized that in his novel, That Hideous Strength. It is the insidious desire to get in on the inner ring. You know, you're on that committee. But it's not just that you're on that committee. It's that they are not on that committee. And you have knowledge that they don't have. And he says, this desire to be on the in crowd or the inner ring has caused countless destruction, failed lives. And you see it also in the church. So how did he resist this deceit that comes from within the church? Well, he remembered who he was and he prayed. He remembered his calling from God. Who am I? He preserved his good name. Verse 11, should such a man like me run away? 13, I would commit a sin by doing this, and they would give me a bad name. Are you in fellowship with the Lord? Remember your calling. Remember your good name. Resist deceit. You are called to be a true child of the Father. Don't bring disgrace to the family name. You know what we'd say as parents Remember, you're representing us. Please don't embarrass us. Um, you know, you're, you're, there, <laughs> you're there as a Ferguson. Um, and no relation to the other Fergusons. Um, they're a lot better than ours everywhere. Okay. Um, don't partner with any others, however great their reputations may be, if that brings disgrace to the family name. Do these preachers blaspheme against the blessed Holy Spirit? Oh, enthusiastic. Are they arrogant or superior in the face of Jesus' sufferings? Cosmic child abuse. Are they dismissive of the Father's goodness and great love? Paternalism. Don't join them. Remember your name. You baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't join them. They are a disgrace to the holy name. Let's pull this together now. Um, Resisting through prayer. Okay? They are, verse 9, they are trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. But I prayed. Evil was seeking to terrify and knock out his faith through fear and intimidation. Nehemiah strengthens his faith through prayer. Verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadia and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. He responds to the evil of deceit with prayer. Doesn't seek vengeance. He leaves us with his God. Jesus tells us, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. 
The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Temptation is a call to prayer. Turn the specifics of the temptation into prayer. This is such a simple thing. I'm almost reluctant to mention it, but it's so powerful when you do it. It doesn't sound powerful in theory, but if you've done it in practice, you'll know the power of it. They are seeking to weaken my hands, Lord. Strengthen my hands. They are seeking to discourage me. Lord, give me courage. They are frightening me, Lord. Lord, make me brave. They're making fun of Jesus. Lord, help me to honor Jesus. Every temptation is an invitation to pray for grace. Every temptation, an invitation to pray for the opposite. We bring Jesus into the temptation with us when we pray. So that's one of the key things, whether you're distracted or deceived. Pray. Let's try and conclude. Our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our daily prayer. Now, I've often puzzled over that wording. I don't know if you like me or this. I've thought, am I thinking when I pray that, that maybe the Father might lead me into temptation and I've got to pray he won't do that? No, that's not what it is. It's, a, it's an unusual wording, but that's not exactly what it... What, certainly not, not exactly. That's not what, what we're asking our Heavenly Father to do. What we are, think of the two verbs, the two commands, or the two petitions, as it were, lead and deliver. We're asking our loving Heavenly Father to lead us and to deliver us to safety. Um, to lead us day by day, hour by hour, in all the temptations of the day, uh, whether it's deceit or destruction or any other temptation, lead us not into temptation, but through these temptations into deliverance from all evil. The temptations are all around us. We're in the middle of them. Lord, lead us not into the temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the kind of prayer um, I believe we're being told to ask, or uh, in, yes, told to, to pray. And here's a little illustration of this. This is how I like to think about this. Um, our girls uh, grew up in their early years in the country. They were Aberdeenshire Quines. The city... Aberdeen was full of unusual dangers, especially traffic. I mean, they were more used to the sound of pheasants than buses. Um, and when it came to the side of the road, the big rule was, you must stop, you must always hold my hand. And it became a habit. You, in fact, you didn't really need to say it. We stop, and they put their hand up to hold their hand. Um, I was leading them not into traffic, but delivering them from accidents. Lead me not into traffic, but deliver me from traffic. That's the kind of prayer that we're praying in the Lord's Prayer. The temptations are all around. The evil danger is at hand. And Jesus says, put your hand into the Heavenly Father's hand. Get in, into habit by doing this through prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No temptation, no trial, no persecution, no danger. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can be more than conquerors when temptation comes. And here in the last book of the Bible is one great exhortation to resist and to overcome. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let's pray together. We think of the words of that hymn and that prayer, you, my great father, I, your true son. Heavenly Father, help us to overcome, to resist, to your glory and to the blessing of our brothers and sisters, to stand side by side so that our victory will be a blessing for them. May this be so. We ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.